0: Demand ...are causing faraway events to have economic effects here at home. As a starting point for thinking about this growing interconnectedness of the global economy, let's back up just a little and get a basic overview of the world economy over the last half-century ago, since about 1950. I want to start at a time when the world economy definitely wasn't globalized. About 60 years ago, in the late 1940s, in the aftermath of World War II, the countries of the world were mainly pursuing their own separate economic paths. There was one great economic power at the time, the United States. The countries of Western Europe had been high income, but they had been torn by war and were barely starting their process of economic recovery. Japan had moved well out of poverty, but it had not yet had that remarkable spurt of growth in the 1960s and 1970s that moved it up into the category of economic superpower. And of course, Japan had suffered from World War II as well. Russia and Eastern Europe were middle-income by world standards, they were pursuing a great historical experiment, whether a centrally planned economy could generate high levels of economic growth, a test that the central planners would fail over the next few decades. Latin America in 1950 was middle-income, but with extreme inequalities of wealth and poverty. Most of its economic wealth was coming from natural resources. The Middle East had some agriculture, and oil was being produced, but the time of really major oil exports was just starting to arrive. Countries like Korea, China, and India were as poor or even poorer than sub-Saharan Africa, which is poor indeed. As a starting point to get a sense of the world economy in 1950, let's think about the different regions of the world, the share they had of world population, the share of world GDP, and per capita GDP. And just to be clear, per capita GDP means dividing total economic output which is measured by gross domestic product or GDP, dividing that by the population. So it's sort of national output per person. And I'm relying heavily here on the work of an economist named Angus Madison who spent much of his career putting together these kinds of estimates going back well into the 19th century. In 1950, the United States had a population of 150 million about 6% of the world population, but it produced 27% of world GDP. Western Europe had a population of about 305 million, which was, say, 12% of world population, and it produced 26% of world GDP. So, the United States had about half as many people as Western Europe, but roughly the same share of the world economy. On a per-person basis, therefore, the U.S. economy was roughly twice as much and terms of per capita income as Western Europe. If you threw in Canada and Australia and New Zealand, the high-income countries of the world in 1950 were maybe 20% of the world population and well over half of world GDP. That is to say, the other 80% of the world population was producing the remaining 40 or 45% of world GDP. In 1950, Japan was about 3% of world population and 3% of the world economy. That is, Japan was just about average for the world at this time. China was 22% of the world population and 4% of GDP. India was 14% of world population and 4% of GDP. Africa was 9% of world population and also 4% of GDP. So in other words, China, India, and sub-Saharan Africa all had about 4% of world GDP, but China had 22% of world population, India 14%, Africa 9%. Those numbers imply that on a per-person basis, since these regions had the same output but different numbers of people, China was by far the poorest part of the world, India was second poorest, and Sub-Saharan Africa was decidedly better off than either one. Now, I fear I need to insert a mild technical note here. How are we measuring the size of all these economies in US dollars? I mean, after all, they all have their own currencies. So somehow we need to convert from their own currencies using some kind of an exchange rate. But what exchange rate to use? What about just using the market exchange rate? The difficulty is that the market exchange rate jumps around a lot, both short term and for years at a time. So if you use it, you end up with some strange outcomes. For example, Say the value of the U.S. dollar on foreign exchange markets increased by 10%. That is, the U.S. dollar could buy 10% more of other foreign currencies on average. Would it make any sense to say the U.S. economy just grew 10% relative to other countries? In terms of the goods and services actually produced in the U.S. economy, surely that wouldn't make sense. Moreover, the U.S. economy could see its exchange rate jump up 20% one year, down 10% the next year, and so on.